All right, praise the Lord. All right, if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Uh, we'll be in verses uh, 73 through uh, 80 this morning. If, uh, like I said earlier, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There's a blue Bible there. Uh, please open that Bible to page 570. We are in our 10th uh, message in this uh, amazing sermon series, walking through uh, this incredible chapter uh, of Psalm 119. And the way that the scripture is laid out in this particular chapter, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses, uh, but it's laid out in 22 different stanzas, in, uh, eight verses each. Each stanza is represented by one of the Hebrew letters uh, in the alphabet there. And this morning, we're going to look at the 10th letter, uh, the letter of Yod. Yod, it is the smallest. And you'll notice uh, not only is the stanza beginning with that particular letter, uh, but each verse in that stanza begins with that same Hebrew letter, in this case, the letter Yod. So uh, God is amazing in how he lays out his scripture. Uh, and the Hebrew language is written uh, right to left, not left to right, like the English language. And it's this particular letter, the, the Yod letter, it is the smallest letter uh, in the Hebrew alphabet. It would be uh, somewhat um, similar in size to the, the, the comma that we know of uh, today. Uh, it is the most used letter in all of the Hebrew alphabet in the Bible. Uh, and it's, uh, though it's small uh, and used often, uh, it is used in some of the greatest ways. Uh, it, it's used in some of the greatest words that we have uh, in the Old Testament uh, language. Uh, for instance, when you think about uh, the people of God uh, throughout uh, specifically the Old Testament, uh, in Genesis 14, 13, uh, the, the scripture says that Abraham was, uh, was a Hebrew. In Genesis 32, 28, it was Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who God renamed him uh, from Jacob to Israel to represent uh, the people of God. In Esther uh, chapter 2, verse 5, it's Mordecai who is uh, described as the Jew. Uh, in Micah 4, 8, uh, God's people are referred to as the daughter of Jerusalem. And each of those phrases that describes the people of God, if it be Hebrew, uh, Jew, daughter of Jerusalem, uh, Israel, all those words begin with, guess what? The Hebrew letter Yod. Uh, and then you think about the awesome, the, the, the greatest name, Yahweh, uh, the great I am. That name, Yahweh, begins with what? Uh, the Hebrew letter uh, Yod. And then when we think about uh, our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, that Hebrew name, Yeshua, begins with what? The Hebrew letter uh, Yod. And so this letter, Yod, is small but powerfully important. And I pray that we'll begin to see that uh, again this morning in our stanza, in our passage this morning. Uh, the, the letter Yod in the Hebrew language is often referred to as, as hand or hands. Uh, and you think about the power and strength of God's hands. And that's where the psalmist is today. Uh, we've looked at these stanzas every single week, and lately in the past uh, three stanzas, there's been great affliction for the psalmist. We don't know who the psalmist is, uh, but we do know that he's experiencing affliction. And, and here he has uh, these amazing prayers before the Lord, uh, and the prayers are uh, dependent on, he, he needs the mighty hand of God uh, to move in his life. And this is what the psalmist writes, beginning in verse 73 uh, through 80. Uh, the scripture says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. 
Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may, have, that they may know your testimonies. In verse 80, may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. And so again, the central focus of these verses is on the word of the Lord. It is so, so important. And here, uh, the psalmist uh, prays four powerful praise, uh, prayers expressing uh, his need for the hand of God to be on his life, to, to live in such a way that he's dependent on uh, the Lord. And here's what I love about this particular stanza. This stanza, uh, if you think about a target for just a moment, where you would pull back an arrow and shoot a target, hopefully hit the bullseye, right? But on that target, not only do you have the bullseye, but you have all those outer rings, right? And so the way that this psalm, this stanza specifically is structured is you have the outer ring and then everything starts moving closer, closer, closer till you get to the bullseye. And the way that it's written is you have verse 73 corresponds with verse 80. That's the outer ring. And then you have verse 74 corresponds with verse 79, so it gets a little bit closer. You have verse 75 corresponding with verse 78. And then the bullseye, the center of that target, is the link between verse 76 and verse 77. So that is very, very significant. And that is actually how we're going to study uh, this particular passage uh, this morning. And so it's these prayers that are so important to the psalmist. And, and guess what? As we live lives desiring to be healthy disciples of Christ, I pray that these prayers will be evident in our life as well. And so that first prayer that the psalmist is going to pray, he prays for uh, personal holiness. He prays for personal holiness. Uh, let's look at verse 73 and verse 80 again. He says, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And then verse 80, may or let, so this is the prayer, let my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. And so the psalmist right out of the gates acknowledges what? He acknowledges that God is my creator. God with your power and strength, your very hands. And we know that God didn't have physical hands unless you look at Jesus, right? But it's an illustration to us that God made the psalmist and God my creator with great Care, the scripture says you did what you fashioned me the word fashion means to, to it means that God took his time right think about it God took his time he planned it out nothing about you is random or a mistake so when God created you and you were born into this earth this world as a male or a female he did it for what reason he did it for a purpose right that's what God has done he designed you uniquely in fact there is no one that is exactly like you right the word fashion also means that he prepared, he established, he shaped, he fixed your days. David writing about this in Psalm 139 says these words beginning in verse 13 through 16. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. This, po this passage tells us that God loved us so much that he formed us, he designed us, he knit us together in our mother's womb. When no one else could see you, when you weren't even known by your mama, guess what? God already knew you, right? He knew everything about you. He knew you and he loves you. God knows more about you than anybody else. 
that means that your life matters to the Lord. So instead of us getting hung up on what the world thinks about us, guess what? Let us rest in what God has already declared to be true about us. In all of creation, you are his greatest work. Do you believe that today? Be amazed at your creator. Be in awe of what he has done. And it's because of this that the psalmist says what? Lord, give me understanding. That, that's his prayer. Lord, because you have created me, give me understanding. Cause me to understand your commandments. Lord, with your hand, you have created me. You have created me for a purpose. Lord, teach me the value of that purpose. Teach me to receive the love of God. To reflect the love of God back to you and to reflect the love of God to those around me, right? That's what the psalmist is praying. Give me discernment on how to live within that purpose. Again, we are created for a purpose. We are, as the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, we are his, or chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship. The scripture says, for we are his workmanship. That word in the Greek is, we are his poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do what? We should walk in them. And because this is true, the psalmist prays in verse 80, May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. Lord, I live in a crooked and twisted generation. How many of y'all can say amen to that? Cause me to do what? Cause me to hunger for your word. Cause me to desire holiness. Cause your life to be lived in me and through me. Right? He says you have fashioned me. You have made me for your glory. Right? In other words, cultivate my heart. Tune my heart to honor you. Not just with my external behaviors, right? But with my internal thoughts and disposition in this world. I desire to be sound not only in doctrine, that is truth, but I also desire to be sound in my practice, right? How I live my life. And this idea that the psalmist talks about blameless, he's not talking about uh, perfection because there's only one who is perfect. That is Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's a word that describes someone who desires to walk in dependency and integrity with the things of the Lord. Lord, I don't want to shame you. I don't want to dishonor you. I don't want to do anything that dishonors your holy name. Lord, let the light of Christ shine in me and through me. That light shining is very evident in the way that Jesus taught. You go back to the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus says these words in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you desire today to live a life of holiness before the Lord and before those around you so that you can bring glory to the name of the Lord? Is that your desire today? If that is your desire, guess what? That will be your prayer because you know you cannot do it on your own. You are dependent on the Lord. So what's one step this morning? That the Lord is calling you out in faith, and that is, it's a faith step, right? In faith, what's that step that the Lord is putting on you through His Spirit, that step that needs to be taken in dependency on Him, so that your life can actually be a life that looks like the holiness of God, right? The Christ-likeness that is in you. So the first prayer is a prayer for holiness, personal holiness. The second prayer that the psalmist brings about is uh, he prays to be a faithful example 
a faithful example, and it ties into that first one, really. We see this in verse 74 and 79. Remember, this bullseye, this target is getting closer and closer and closer to the bullseye. Verse 74, the scripture says, Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. Verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. The psalmist has a concern for who? For other believers in the Lord. He refers to other believers as what? Those who fear you. Remember, the psalmist has already told us in a previous section of, the, of chapter 119 that he desires to be what? He desires to be around gospel community, Christian community. He said in verse 63, I am a what? I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. So the, the psalmist desires to be around gospel community, like-minded followers of Jesus Christ, and it's there that he wants to be a faithful example to them. He wants his life to be a visual testimony of the faithfulness and the greatness and the hand of God. We see this uh, pictured in the New Testament, specifically uh, in one location in First Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verses six through eight. Uh, the scripture says, "And you." And so the the apostle Paul is talking about uh, the church or the Christians there in Thessalonica. He says, "Became imitators of us." The word "us" there is referring to Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Silas in Acts seventeen who went and shared the gospel there, and that's where the church was established. And he says, "You are imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word." In other words, they received Christ as their Savior, right? But notice the context. It was in what? It was in much affliction. Meaning when the gospel was spread to them, there was great affliction. There was pressure on all sides of if we turn our lives to this one called Jesus, it's going to radically change my life. That means I have to turn away from all these things from the past, the, the idols of my past, and I have to turn and give my allegiance to Jesus Christ. They received it. And they thanked the Lord for it. The scripture says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You think about that phrase, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, it reminds me of Paul and Silas again, right before they went to share the gospel in Thessalonica in Acts 17 and Acts 16, where are they at? They're in jail, right? They're in jail, they're chained up, but yet, because their joy was in the Lord, what are they doing? They're singing songs of him at midnight, and guess what? The gospel was shared and lives were changed. The Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ. Verse 7, so that you may become a what? An example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So here's Paul and Silas. They're the examples to the Thessalonica believers, the new believers. And now what are those new believers doing? They're being an example to those around them as well. Verse 8, for not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, and I love that word sounded because it's like a trumpet blast, right? So the gospel is being shared like a trumpet blast in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need nothing to say. Man, the gospel so impacted their lives that guess what? They were willing to be a faithful example even in the midst of affliction. And so the psalmist Again, that same prayer. Lord, I want to be a faithful example of your greatness, your faithfulness, and your hand. I want to be a conduit of your grace to those around me. I want other believers to see my walk with the Lord, to see your faithfulness in me, so that they will do what? That they will rejoice. And that word rejoice that is found in Psalm 119, uh, verse 74, means to clap your hands with great joy. And it's just an amazing 
picture in the mind of seeing followers of Christ who have experienced great affliction, but yet because they desire to be a faithful example to the Lord, those around them, other brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing that life lived out faithfully and seeing the goodness of God, clapping and rejoice at what God has done. In other words, the psalmist says, Lord, if I have to suffer in this life, let it be for your glory and for the good of those who love you, right? What an amazing prayer. Let my example be an encouragement to those around me. Let us join together and rejoice. It's the same picture that we see uh, in Psalm 34 with David. David says, beginning in uh, verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. That means in every situation, right? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In other words, without ceasing. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. So here's David, right? I mean, he's the one that slayed Goliath, right? He's not saying, hey, my boast is in my victory over Goliath and what I did. No, he says, my boast is where? My boast is in the Lord. And he says, let the humble, those who are dependent on the Lord, hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us do what? Exalt his name together. And so David's cry, David's desire is to see the people of God do what? Humble themselves before the Lord and to exalt his holy name. Going on in verse 4 and 5, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. That means they're beaming, they're cheerful, they're rejoicing, they're glowing because the Holy Spirit's work in their life and their faces shall never be ashamed. In other words, when our focus is on Christ Jesus, guess what? There is nothing to be shameful of. Absolutely nothing to be shameful of. How is it possible? for the psalmist and how is it possible for you and I today to live in such a way where we desire to be a faithful example specifically to the church even during great affliction well the psalmist tells us in verse 74 because I have what I have hoped in your word man what an awesome phrase I have hoped in your word the word hope means confident expectation and what the Lord can do so the psalmist is anchoring his life in the promises of God, the hope that is found in the Lord. And Jesus reminds us of the great hope that we have in him. In John 16, verse 33, right before Jesus goes to the cross and he's spending those last intimate moments with his disciples. And he reminds them that, hey, this, this world is going to be tough. You're going to be hated by many. But know that they hate you because they hated me first, right? And what does he say in verse 33? He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Brother and sister, be encouraged today. Be encouraged because of the hope that we have in Christ. Even in the midst of affliction, you have a divine promise from the Lord himself that says you can have hope. A living hope, as First Peter would say in chapter 1, because of the finished work of Christ. Our Lord reigns victorious, right? This isn't wishful thinking. This is divine hope that anchors our lives even when the waves crash down in our life. And they will, right? The hope of the Lord anchors your life and encourages the family of God around you. Ask a question. Uh, let's say you're experiencing affliction today. If, if the body of Christ saw how you were walking through that affliction, would they rejoice in the faithfulness of God today? In other words, are, are you being a faithful example as you depend on the Lord in the midst of that affliction? Because guess what? Sometimes affliction exposes other parts of our heart, does it not? Things that don't honor the Lord. So is the way that you're walking through that affliction today, is it giving an amazing picture to the church of the goodness of God and the glory of God and the faithfulness of God so that they rejoice in Him 
another question. Let's say you've watched and witnessed someone be a faithful example of the Lord, even when uh, the burdens of life are so, so difficult. Have you rejoiced in the Lord because of that? Would you be willing to share to that person, thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for showing me that my life is not dependent on my circumstances, but my life is solely dependent on the goodness and the grace of my amazing Lord. What an amazing testimony. What an amazing example that we have because of the work of Christ in us. The third prayer that the psalmist prays is he prays for continued trust in God's goodness, right? Life is hard. Burdens are deep. And they don't stop, right? How many of us would just wish we had a weekend of burden, burdens and we're good for the next 10 years? It doesn't work like that, right? It's typically one affliction after another affliction after another affliction. And so the prayer that he has is, I, I want to continue trusting the goodness of God, right? Look at verse 75 and verse 78. Again, the target is getting narrower and narrower. He says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So everything that the psalmist says in verse 75 centers on the goodness of God. He says, your, your rules are right. And guess what? All of them are right. All of them are good. They're always good. Speaking of the goodness of God, the psalmist has already declared to us in verse 68, you are good and you do good. So you are good, that is who you are, that is your essence, that is your character, that is your nature, and what do you do based on that? You do good, therefore teach me your statutes. Even when we don't understand what God is doing, even when we don't understand how he's going to do it, we can trust always that he is good. And this is significant because the psalmist says, Lord, in faithfulness, you have what? You have afflicted me. Again, it's this continuation. Week after week, we've been gathering here and studying God's word together, and it's affliction after affliction after affliction. So this subject affliction keeps coming up. It keeps welling up in the psalmist's soul and his mind and his heart. He says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. In other words, God allows all affliction in our life, right? But yet it's been filtered. Before it gets to us, it's been filtered through his love and his goodness towards us. And sometimes he brings that affliction to get our attention, right? That's what the psalmist said in verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, I'm doing life on my own. I'm living comfortably. I'm doing my own thing. And then you brought affliction into my life. And now I've turned back uh, to you. And he will use any means necessary. That's how good God is, right? He says, and uh, the psalmist says already in verse 69 through 70, he says, the insolent, those who are wicked, those who are evildoers, those who uh, have a hard heart to the Lord and towards me, he says, the insolent smear me with lies. Remember the, those lies that we learned about last week, these, these post-it notes of lies, this falsehood that is being attached to you everywhere you go. He says, those things that have been glued to me, those lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your pre precepts. The heart is, their heart, speaking of those insolence, uh, those evildoers, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. So here he has these people that are uh, posting no, uh, lies about him all over him, all, and everybody sees it. He says, they're so insens insensitive to it. They don't care. That's what that idea of uh, fattened is. And yet, where is the psalmist going? The psalmist is turning to the word of the Lord. With my whole heart, I keep your pre precepts. I delight where? In your law. Verse 78 in Psalm 119, 
Uh, the psalmist is saying, yeah, they, they've lied, to me, lied about me. Uh, they, they've cheated me. They've harassed me. They've twisted the truth about me, but God has been faithful. He has been good. He has the one that has allowed this affliction into my life. Verse 71, remember what we learned last week. The psalmist says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Listen, when we live lives as Christians, uh, earthly-minded, we're not going to buy into this, are we? But when our focus and our heart is on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? We will know that even in the midst of affliction, God is good to us. The psalmist says, you faithfully made me, you faithfully fashioned me, and now you have faithfully allowed affliction into my life. The psalmist is afflicted, but he's not bitter towards the Lord, right? Do you see that? He's not bitter towards the Lord. In the midst of his affliction and being wronged by evildoers, he says in verse 78, I will meditate on your precepts. I will think about them. I will dwell on your word. Think about it. When you're experiencing affliction, why is it so important to dwell and to meditate on the word of the Lord? Because bitterness will destroy your life. How many of you can say, yes, that is true by personal example and experience, or you've seen it in the lives of those around? And we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who have the living hope in them. Go through affliction, get our eyes off the Lord, and guess what? We become bitter, bitter. There is nothing worse, I don't think, in this life than a bitter Christian, right? That's why God's word is so important, because God's word reminds us time and time again that he is faithful. I mean, just a, a personal example, personal story. In 2011, so 12 years ago, I mean, my wife and I, we experienced the worst year from an experience standpoint that we can think of. I mean, we found out that our unborn child was going to have special needs. Uh, we found out that my job was closing down, and if we decided not to move and take a management position, that I had no job that was extremely financially well, uh, we found out that my wife was going to go to Vanderbilt Hospital, have interuteral surgery before our son was born. Uh, they gave us little hope of what that would look like. Uh, and, you know, 12 years later, he'll be 12 in uh, three weeks. Man, God has been so faithful. God has been so faithful. In the midst of that, when my wife was, uh, her water broke and we went to MUSC, where she went from modified bed rest to now complete bed rest for roughly a month, I was in a major car wreck. The guy that hit me was killed instantly. You know, there's so much that was happening during this time. And what an, the opportunity was great to be bitter towards the Lord. But even greater than that was the faithfulness and the goodness of our Lord. All those things he had his hand in. Allowing those things for multiple reasons. And guess what? We will never know all the purposes behind those things. But what he gave us was far greater than that. He gave us his presence each step of the way. And by the grace of God, we stand here today. So if you're going to be consumed by anything, learn to be consumed by the word of the Lord. It will remind you of God's faithful goodness. It will keep you on the right perspective in life. The Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. He says, but rejoice. That's a present tense verb. Keep on rejoicing. And so far as you share Christ's suffering. In other words, there's a beautiful connection in our fellowship with Christ's suffering. Right? Peter, Peter says, be glad. Why? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, 
God is doing something in your life so that you will be prepared for that day that you meet him face to face, the glory of that day. And our greatest rejoicing will be in the future when Jesus returns again. And what does he do in verse 14? The scripture says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, meaning or if you're ridiculed because of his name, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. What an amazing statement in scripture. Because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. And the context here, the, the early Christians who were Jewish, they would have understood this very well because it's a picture of the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It's the glory of God in his very presence. And the scripture says that it will rest on you, meaning that in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of that burden of life, that season of just dread, the presence of God will rest on you. It will dominate you. It will take over. But we need to make sure that we that our suffering is right suffering, right? That's what he, listen, to, it's like out of nowhere. He says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. And you're probably thinking, okay, good, I'm, I'm not one of those things, right? But he doesn't say, that's it. He says, or an evildoer, meaning anything that's sinful, or as a meddler. And I love that word meddler because it talks about uh, those things that we tend to get involved with, specifically social causes and political things that really have no gospel implication at all, right? I mean, just think about what's happening today. Don't meddle in those things. Why? Because you are getting distracted from the thing that is very, very primary in your life. Now, if those things are gospel significant, guess what? Yes, faithfully go into those things. But we, we have gotten so far off track as the church. Verse 16, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Listen, there is no shame whatsoever in honoring the Lord uh, with your life. He goes on to say in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word entrust means to deposit something for safekeeping, right? And what are we depositing? What are we entrusting the Lord with? Guess what? It's greater than our kids. It's greater than our resources. It's greater than our finances. It is our very soul itself. That's what we are ultimately entrusting in the hands of the Lord. We are entrusting our souls to him. It includes all those other things but we are entrusting our souls to him. And how is it possible for you and I to entrust our greatest possession to the Lord? We look to Jesus, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture says, when he, speaking of Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he did what? He continued entrusting himself who judges justly. You see, Jesus not only showed his submission to the Father's will, but he shows us confidence in his Father's righteous judgment. That's what he does. He is trusting his entire life to the faithfulness of his Father. And that is what we are doing today. Think about that trust that is required to follow the Lord. But we're first trusting in the goodness of God, right? I can't trust God with my life today if I'm not first trusting in God's goodness. That he is good to me. Why does the psalmist desire to trust in God's goodness? He says in verse 78, and this is an interesting verse, he says, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. Is the psalmist desiring retaliation here? Well, if he is, he's not the one bringing the vengeance on, right? He's leaving it to the Lord, right? He's asking the Lord to put those who wronged him 
to shame. And that is important because what the psalmist is actually saying is very gracious and very merciful. The word shame here means to be disappointed. And so the psalmist is saying, to those that have wronged me, to those who have spoken lies about me, let them be disappointed. And one of the purposes on why the psalmist would pray that type of prayer to those who uh, have caused such hardship on him is because if and when the evildoers are disappointed with their actions, guess what? That In that disappointment, there's a possibility that they will turn to the Lord. How so? Uh, look at what Asaph, again, Asaph, he's the chief uh, worship leader, right? He's the one that brings God's people into worship to the Lord. And in Psalm 83, uh, verse 16, he says something amazing. Now, the whole context of chapter uh, 83 in, in the book of Psalms is, uh, is that Asaph is asking the Lord uh, to judge the evildoers who are against Israel, right? He wants their destruction. That's how big the language is. But then at the very, very end, he says this in verse 16. He says, fill their faces, those that have caused great shame, fill their faces with shame for what reason? Why disappoint them? So that they may seek your name, O Lord. What an amazing shift in thought. First he's saying, destroy them. Bring on your judgment on them. And then he says, make them disappointed. Let all their efforts to ridicule me, to be wicked towards me, let them be disappointed because in their disappointment, maybe, maybe they'll turn to the Lord. Man, doesn't that echo uh, Romans 2, 4 when Paul says it's the kindness of the Lord. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. One of the kindest things that the Lord can do to the evildoers around us is to disappoint them with their attacks specifically on the body of Christ. So the psalmist praise for continued trust in the goodness of the Lord. And then lastly, uh, let us pray for God's TLC. TLC. Now you might be thinking, what is TLC? You didn't grow up in the 90s, right? <laughs> I'm about ready to help you. You don't even have to go to Google because I'm going to educate you today. I have to confess, I thought TLC for a long time was the music group in the 1990s, right? You got T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili. Right? They're the ones that taught us not to be chasing waterfalls, and you can Google all that stuff, right? But man, by the grace of God, I have recognized that TLC is not a music group. TLC is not even a TV channel, right? TLC is about the tending, loving care of God the Father. And how does the, the psalmist express that in verse 76? He says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. You see the bullseye now? Verse 76 and verse 77. You see how all that stuff just keeps coming, coming, coming until you get to where? You get to the tender, loving care of the Lord. Let your steadfast love comfort me. Let your mercy come to me. The one who allows the affliction is the same one who brings about what? He brings about comfort. The word comfort speaks of God's grace and giving us assurance and encouragement when life is hard. And the Hebrew word here for steadfast love is not said. It's not covenant kindness, but it's a word that describes the type of love, the deep love that a mother has for her newborn child. That's the love that he's talking about. And the mercy of God speaks of God's amazing compassion, God's ability to meet us in our hurts and give us exactly what we need. And the psalmist prays that God's grace and mercy would come to him 
And that phrase, come to him, is so, so important because it says he's praying, Lord, remove any and all obstacles from stopping me, from hindering me to receive and to rest in your love and your compassion. And there are so much in our lives, so many obstacles, so many hindrances that prohibit us from receiving the compassion and the comfort of the Lord. How needy is the psalmist? He's very needy. He says in verse 77, let it come to me so that I may live. I can't get any more desperate than that, right? I need your comfort. I need your compassion so that I may live. Lord, the attacks are relentless and you know it. I'm down. I'm struggling. Allow me to receive your grace and your mercy so that I can recover, so that I can be revived again, so that I can be restored again. The psalmist is talking about the abundant life that is available to us in Christ. Remember, Jesus himself said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And at the end of verse 77, the psalmist says, my delight, my joy is where? It's found in you. That's what brings me life. The psalmist is praying for the Lord to deliver because without that deliverance, without that experience of God's comfort and compassion, guess what? He says, I can't even live. My soul needs that the most. It reminds me of what the psalmist said in Psalm 94. He says, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? Look at verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. How many of us are living in the land of silence today? Verse 18, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, help me up. When the cares of my heart are many, and they are your consolations, your comfort, cheer my soul. Man, we have an invitation today and every day to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for that steadfast love and that mercy, for that comfort and that compassion. Why? Because Jesus is truly our great high priest. He has torn down every wall that was, necess- that was built up. He tore down all those walls so that we can go directly to him for that grace and mercy. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest that fully understands. Therefore, we can run to him for that compassion when we are weak. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Every day, we have the privilege and the honor to run to the Lord because of the finished work of Jesus. Are you taking advantage of that privilege today? Are you praying, God, I need your TLC today? It's the only way I'm going to find comfort and compassion in this life. So think about the prayers that the psalmist lifted up. He prayed for personal holiness, prayed that he would be a faithful example. He prayed for continued trust in God's goodness, and he prayed for God's TLC. Where's your prayer today? Where do you want to lift up that prayer to the Lord today? Is it in the place of holiness and there needs to be confession, repentance, or renewed trust in the gospel? Is your prayer today, Lord, I desire to be a faithful example. Yes, life has been hard and, and I, I have not been honoring you with that affliction. 
I have not been trusting in you with that affliction. And, and, and I have, I've become something that I desire not to be. So Lord, I want to be a faithful example. Are you asking for continued trust in the goodness of God? Yet, yeah, I started out well, Lord. But this season has been so rough, so long, I have forgotten about the goodness of God. Lord, will you revive that in me again? Will you restore that in me again? Lord, I need your TLC. I need your tender, loving care. Whatever your decision is today, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would pray for, I'd love to pray for you today. I'd love to encourage you in your next step. With the-